Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Thank you, uh, Stefan. Does anyone know what, uh, what uh, day today is on the Christian calendar? Pentecost. You guys know that? Today's Pentecost Sunday. Um, and about 2,000 years ago, on this day is when it all began. Very, very, very significant day in the life of the church. Very important day in the life of the church. So um, I'm going to actually read to you and, and share a little bit from Acts chapter 2. So um, I'm reading from the NIV. You can follow with me on the screen or in your Bible if you like. It says in Acts chapter 2 from verse 1, I'm just going to read up to about verse 18. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they, were, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I just want to read verse 33 as well. It says, Exalted to the right hand of God, He, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Father, we just want to thank You for Your Word and we thank You, Lord, that Your Word is living and powerful, that it's exciting, that it's inspiring, Lord God, that it's ever-relevant, Lord God, that, that it still speaks to us today, Lord, not, not because it was written by people who were geniuses, but 
because it was inspired by your Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit, Lord, that we can experience today. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that we could already experience you during worship. And we pray, Lord God, that we will continue to experience you as the word is shared. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> this um, portion of scripture um, is very, you know, very interesting to me and has a special place in my heart. Um, I was raised in a very traditional denomination uh, where, where the things of the Holy Spirit weren't really mentioned. Um, the, the, the Holy Spirit was sort of the, the weird uncle of the Trinity, you know, <laughs> that you didn't really talk about, you know. Like your brother in prison, you love him, but you don't talk about him. <laughs> and um, this tradition that I was raised in believed in the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, we often even said the, the, the Orthodox creeds, you know, which, which included, you know, I believe in the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff. But I can't remember even once um, growing up hearing, you know, the Holy Spirit being preached about and, and much less this kind of experience of the Holy Spirit. And um, then a, a friend of mine, we were sort of in, in class together from standard six. Okay, what's that in nowadays terms? Grade eight. <laughs> Grade eight to matric. And um, his brother got radically saved when he, he was one of these bad boys, you know, musician types, you know, who smoked and grew his hair long, you know, just to, you know, <laughs> thumb his nose at the teachers, you know, and um, he, he was he was a, a real rebel, you know, and, and, and then he, he got, and he was like one of those people that you thought, no, this is the, you know, this guy, other people will get saved, but this guy's not going to get saved, you know, and, and then he went to Stellenbosch to study there, and he got radically saved in, in, in Shofar uh, in the early days in, in Stellenbosch, I, I think it must have been 92 or 93, you know, the very early days when Shofar was just, uh, just started, when Pastor Fred May just started Shofar in, in Stellenbosch. And um, then his, his brother, who was with me in the class, also went down and um, experienced all kinds of things of the Holy Spirit, you know, that, that uh, we didn't know about up to then. And um, started sending tapes and stuff to us, you know. Those days, you guys, you still, any of you still remember tapes? <laughs> Cassette tapes? You know, we were still there long ago, eh? It was, like I said, 92, 93. And um, <clears throat> it was interesting. We were a bunch of high school kids, sort of grade 8, 9, 10. And little by little, we started experiencing the Holy Spirit without us, anyone telling us how it's supposed to work, you know. But guys started to speak in tongues. We started to pray for healings and voila, it happened, you know. <laughs> started prophesying over one another. And, and we, we, we this, bunch, this bunch of um, high school kids who, who, who know nothing, you know. And, and then we were like, you know, first there was a little bit of kickback against this because we thought, no, 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 this is weird. We've been warned about sects, like, you know, and, and, and in sects, you know, uh, and cults, stuff like this happened, you know. So we were sort of a bit weary in the beginning. Then we started to read a scripture, and especially read the book of Acts, and vrachtig, there it was. 
those very things that we were experiencing were right there in Scripture. Yeah, and we just couldn't get enough when we were reading Scripture. Um, and um, I remember, and I'll say a bit more about that later, um, we, we used to get together, you know, before we even knew about small groups. I mean, small groups, I mean, we, we'd never even heard about small groups yet, but every week, you know, we would get together in small groups and pray for worship together and pray for one another and minister to one another. And in one of these small group meetings that we had at someone's house, um, they were praying for me, and I, I'm a bit slow. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm cautious by nature, you know. And uh, so I was, I was checking this thing out, you know, and, and sort of really just trying to, to figure it out before I, before, <laughs> before I jump. You know, I was looking before I leap, as I always do, you know, and uh, sometimes get para- analysis paralysis. And in any case, I was checking this thing out, and most of my friends were already, you know, had already experienced the Holy Spirit in in this way, and and I had not yet. And, um, you know, they they were praying for me, and then, yeah, I just remember experiencing the Holy Spirit, hearing the Holy Spirit's voice, experiencing the Holy Spirit, and just like this text says, starting to speak in tongues. And... It, w- it was amazing because it's, it's one of those experiences that you can't, you can't really explain naturally. I mean, other, even spiritual things that happen to you, you can sort of sometimes give a natural explanation for it, but, but not this. I couldn't give a natural explanation to it. And it was just such a, a powerful experience and such a confirmation that the things of God was real. The things written about in the Bible are for today. You know, and since then I've discovered demons haven't died out either, you know. They're still around and you can still cast them out just like Jesus did. Miracles haven't ceased. They still happen. They're for today. Um, and everything that God put in the Bible, He put there for a reason. He put there because it's for us. And, and it, was, it was just such a um, major wake-up call to not settle for a reduced Christianity that I'd received by tradition, that had been passed on to me by tradition, but to, for myself and for ourselves as a group of, of young <clears throat> school kids to go back to the Bible and say, I don't want to experience just everything that my family knows about God or that my tradition knows about God or that my school knows about God. I want to experience everything that the Bible says about God. Because it's not my tradition or what my parents taught me only that defines what, what, what Christianity is. What, what, what defines what Christianity is is Scripture. And going back to the source and experiencing everything that God has for me, not just some of what God has for me. Um, so so this, this, this passage has, has a very um, dear place in my heart. And I just want to share um, just basically three things from it. According to this scripture, because this scripture is all about spirit baptism, because that's what happens. In the previous chapter, Jesus says to them, um, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this passage records the fulfillment of that prophecy that Jesus gives. Um, and, and this passage tells us that three things. That's, well, a lot more than that, but I'm just going to focus on three things. It tells us that spirit baptism is experience. 
it's an experience that leads to expansion and that requires an explanation. And I'm just going to look at it under those three headings. So firstly, the interesting thing is this experience is rooted in history. It says um, in the beginning of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, and and it's interesting that some of the major events in in the Gospels and in, in the New Testament happen specifically on Jewish festivals. So, so it's, it's like God waits until the right time. And, and the reason for that is those Jewish festivals usually predicted, prophetically predicted what was going to come. So for instance, Jesus was crucified on Passover. The very same festival on which the Passover lamb was slaughtered and the exodus out of Egypt began. Okay? And then a bit less than two months later, they arrived at Mount Sinai. Moses led them through the, the, the Red Sea, and they arrive at Mount Sinai. And what happens there? Big noise. There's a mountain. There's a big noise at the mountain. Wind, fire. Moses goes up the mountain, receives the law, brings it down to the people. Do you see the parallels here? You've got wind, you've got fire, you've got Jesus not going up to the mount, on the, to the top of the mountain to meet with God, but going all the way up into heaven, receives the Holy Spirit and pours him out. Okay? And in other words, what, what this is telling us is that, that this experience of the Holy Spirit is rooted um, in, in God's prophetic, not only promises, in history, but God's prophetic pre-enactments in history. God had already given us sort of a, a pattern in we, into which to, to fit this uh, and our understanding of this. And then another thing that we see is it says they were all together in one place. This was, this was a communal experience. So it was not just the individual experience. This was a communal experience. And so many, I mean, we as Westerners or people who have been pretty much Westernized, we need to hear this regularly because we tend to be very individualistic. And we tend to think of religion as an individual pursuit. It's me and God in our corner. You know, like Heinrich said this morning. Um, And of course, Christianity is an individual relationship with God, but it's a lot more than that. And this experience that they have is a communal experience. They were all together in one place when this was poured out. And that also tells us that it was a real experience. This was not something they imagined. This was not hallucination. This was not... Because... 120 different people cannot have the same hallucination at the same time. Right? And it's not only the people inside the building that's hearing it. It's the people outside as well. And they also gather to figure out what's going on here. This was a real experience. You can't just dismiss it as someone's imagination. This really happened. Okay? Um, But not only that, it says in in, in verse 2, um, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. This, this experience is from heaven. It's an experience on earth, but it's an experience from heaven. And, and that's important. In other words, this is not just 
people trying to do a revolution and change the world. This is God entering human history and getting involved and changing things radically. And in verse 4 it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God Himself. This is God Himself invading the world. I mean, what had happened before this in the gospel was that Jesus was born, the incarnation. God in the form of Jesus, in human form, had invaded. But now, God was invading in a form that was not limited by a human body. The wind, this mighty storm wind, like, was blowing. And God, with all His power, was entering human history in a form that was not limited to a, to a human body. So, I mean, the, the disciples in the Gospels you know, they, they're, not, they're not very heroic. They're not very smart. They're not very together. You know, they, they're constantly letting Jesus down. And, and you sort of get the feeling it's just Jesus himself sort of keeping everything together. And if he left, then things would really fall apart. And then he does leave and things really do fall apart. And they go back to fishing. And, and you've got this challenge. What what, how do you solve the problem of the physical absence of Jesus in the lives of these poor, pathetic disciples? And the answer is Pentecost. The answer to the physical absence of Jesus is His spiritual presence through the Holy Spirit. In other words, He was leaving in order to come back in a better way. That's why it says in in John 16, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because unless I go away, unless I go to the Father, I will not pour out the Holy Spirit. You will not receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is better. Now, for us as Christians, and especially us who have had this experience, who know the presence of the Holy Spirit, man, we so easily forget what we have. So easily. I mean... I always think of this story, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, he was, he was a Christian and he was instrumental in the conversion of the famous C.S. Lewis. And um, The Lord of the Rings is by no means a Christian book, you know, but it's written actually from a Christian worldview. And if you look carefully, you can actually see Tolkien's Christian worldview coming through in many places. Uh, so I, I like the story because it's very subtle. It's a lot more subtle than, than Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia, much more explicit uh, allegory. Where, where Lord of the Rings is much more subtle. But a lot of the ideas that come through are Christian ideas. And, and there's this one place in the story. I don't think it's in the movie. In the movie, those of you who've seen the movie, um, movie's not as good as the book. But but those of you who see the movie, you'll know that Frodo receives this. Um, a coat of armor from Bilbo Baggins, which is a, a coat of armor made from mithril, which is this um, precious metal that's more precious than gold or platinum or any other precious metal and stronger than any, any other metal as well. So it's extremely strong, but it's light and it's extremely valuable. Uh, so he gets this, this, this coat of ar- mithril armor and he puts it on under his clothes. So he's walking around with this coat of mithril armor and no one really knows that he's wearing it, you know. And, and in the books, there's this, this account of where they're walking along the road. And I think it's, one, I think it's the dwarf Gimli 
who, who, who starts a conversation with one of the other guys. And he said, you know, this Bilbo Baggins was actually a, a pretty rich guy, you know. He'd, in, um, in, in the previous book Tolkien had written, The Hobbit, he, he meets this, this dragon and, and he gets part of the dragon's treasure. And he said he, he had lots of gold and silver and all kinds of stuff stashed away in his little house. So he, were, he was stinking rich. In fact, he was so rich, he could have bought the whole shire, which was the area in which he lived. But he said there was one item he had that was more valuable than all the rest of his massive treasure put together. And it was this coat of mithril armor that he had. And Frodo, who's wearing the armor, is walking along and thinking, oh my goodness, seriously? <laughs> I'm wearing this coat of mithril armor, and, and it's, actually so, it's, it's actually so precious, so valuable. It's, it's worth so much I could buy more than the whole shire where I live with it, and I'm wearing it. And you know, sometimes we like Christians are like that. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. The one who created the whole universe, who's more precious than all the gold, all the diamonds, in fact, all of the world, in fact, all of the universe put together. He's living inside of us. And we're walking around nonchalantly not knowing how precious the one is who lives inside of us. And just like Frodo, we can walk around with this precious thing sort of under our clothes and no one even knows about it. Do you know? <laughs> when it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've experienced that, do you know what you have? Do you realize how precious is the one who lives inside of you? I tend to forget. Now, now you say, yes, 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 I know any. But then you say, yeah, you know, but, but what does all of that help, you know, if my marriage is falling apart? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that, that means you think that your marriage is more important than the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now, pray to God that your marriage won't fall apart. But I'm telling you what, I tell you what, if your marriage, if it comes to the worst and your marriage does fall apart, but you have the Holy Spirit, you're still okay. But if you have the best marriage in the world, but you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not okay. Oh, that's great, Denny. You know, the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit live inside of me. But, but what does that help if I don't have that job that I want? Or that, that boyfriend that I want? Or whatever else? Can, can you see how we say we appreciate the value of the Holy Spirit, but we don't really? Can you see that? <clears throat> you have someone living inside of you that's more precious than all the treasure of the universe put together. If you were the richest, if you were the richest person on earth, your riches would pale in comparison to the in value to the one who's already living inside of you. It's an experience from heaven, experience of the Holy Spirit. Um and then, one of the most important things, one of the most obvious but the most important things that we must, live, that we must um, know is, it talks about the sound of the blowing <clears throat> of a violent wind from heaven filled the house. So it tells how they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separating and coming to rest on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and <clears throat> they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And 
What that makes very clear, and what the rest of the passage continues to make clear, is that this is an experiential empowering. It's an experience. This is not a theory. This is not something you have to assume. This is not something where someone has to say to you, just believe it happened to you. It's an experience. If it happens to you, you'll know about it. In fact, not only will you know about it, but the people around you will know about it. So it's the sound and the the sight, almost this witness from heaven, which then comes inside of them, and then they start to speak in tongues and glorify God, and, and they become the witness to the people around them. It's a clear experience. And I, 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 one of my favorite theologians is a guy called Gordon Fee. And he wrote this book, a very thick book. I can't remember how many pages, a few hundred, almost a thousand pages, maybe even more than a thousand pages. That we took, just in, in Paul's writings, all the texts about the Holy Spirit, and he interpreted them and then explained them and put them all together. And, and one of the main conclusions he came to was that for Paul, Christianity was fundamentally experiential. Think about all the Christians in the world to whom their Christianity is not an experience. It's an, it's an assumption that they have to make. There's no experience. And, and what, what, what this guy was saying, what, what Gordon Fee was saying, was that if Paul walked into many of our modern churches and saw the way we did Christianity, he wouldn't recognize it at all. He would say, this is a different religion. I don't recognize this. This is foreign to me. Because the Christianity that I lived was deeply experiential. <clears throat> I heard one guy say that, that the, the Holy Spirit was an experience in the life of the early church, even before it was a doctrine in their theology. We first really know the Holy Spirit by experience. Not by doctrine. The doctrine only explains, or is only supposed to explain what we experience. We're not, and so often we replace the experience with the doctrine. Now, of course, you need both the experience and the doctrine, but, but <laughs> you're better off having the experience without the doctrine than the doctrine without the experience. Way better off. It's not good enough to know about the Holy Spirit. You've got to know Him. You've got to experience Him in your life. An experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, but that experience is a expan- uh, it, it leads to expansion. This is, in other words, the, the inevitable effect of this experience is expansion. In fact, the purpose of the experience is expansion. In, in, in Acts 1 verse 8, the very famous scripture, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and towards and, and to the ends of the earth. You receive power and experience. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be used to expand this experience. In other words, this experience will spill over to other people. And it will start where you are. Because they were in Jerusalem. Okay? And Joburg is our Jerusalem. So we must be witnesses first and foremost here. In our Jerusalem, in Joburg. But then Judea. Concentric circle going wider. That's 
our equivalent would be Gauteng. And Samaria, is because Judea was like the region. Samaria was a region, but cross-culturally. So this power will enable you to cross cultures and then to the ends of the earth. And it it starts where you are, but it constantly causes you to expand and causes us as the church to expand and to cross boundaries. And when 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 you go from Jerusalem, well, even in Jerusalem, you have to cross quite a few boundaries. But when you go from Jerusalem to Judea, you've crossed even more boundaries. When you've gone from Judea to Samaria, you've crossed a lot of more cultural boundaries and even language boundaries. And when you get to the ends of the earth, you've crossed all boundaries. And that's what what this empowers you to do. The Holy Spirit empowers, empowers you to do that. Because it's power to expand. Power to expand. Already it includes all nations. Um, the, the, the Pentecost feast was also a feast of first fruits, the bringing in of the first fruits of the harvest. And that's significant because this, all these Jews and people from all kinds of different nations, were the first fruits of the harvest of the new covenant. The first fruits. And <clears throat> they were people from all over, and he mentions a few representative mentions there, people from all nations, from all kinds of languages, but it specifically mentions visitors from, Jew, from Rome, and then it says Jews and proselytes. So it already included ethnic Jews who were born Jews, and then proselytes who were born Gentiles and then converted to Judaism. It already includes Jews and Gentiles. The, 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 the first fruit already includes people from everywhere. <clears throat> just want to show you something. There we go. If you have a substance and you pour it into a container that's too small for it, what happens? Now imagine, imagine having an unlimited substance, a divine substance, and pouring it into a limited human container. What's going to happen? There's always going to be an overflow. There's always going to be an overflow. And that overflow is going to overflow into the people around. So here's the thing. Here's one of the ways in which you know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because, because remember it said, and I will pour out. Say pour out. Do, do you see what, what, what happened when I, when, when I poured this water? It poured out. So, so that's the image. That's a metaphor being used here. It's a water metaphor. I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all flesh, on all human containers into all human containers. But it's my Holy Spirit that I'm pouring out. Don't forget that. It's the Holy Spirit. And He's unlimited. He's God. He cannot be contained. And when the unlimited divine substance of the Holy Spirit gets poured into the limited human containers that is us, there's this overflow from us into the lives of the people around us. This is how you know that the Holy Spirit has been poured out and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You know something is full when there's an overflow. When the Holy Spirit overflows from your life and the effects of the Holy Spirit overflows from your life into the lives of the people around you, then you know you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. Are you overflowing into the lives of the people around you? Say to your neighbor, watch out, I'm going to spill on you. Watch out, I'm going to overflow on you. 
And that was, that was, that was the secret of this little obscure, persecuted, despised, marginalized community that in just a few hundred years took over the known world was nothing other than the Holy Spirit. There's this saying, and I can't even remember where I heard it, uh, that says, unless you have within you that which is above you, you will soon give in to that which is around you. And there have been all kinds of movements and revolutions and whatever else in human history before this that looked much more likely to succeed when you looked at the people who were involved in it. And yet, they all failed. They all failed without exception. They're all gone. They're no longer around. This one, Christianity, is still around. Why? <clears throat> because unless you have within you that which is above you, from heaven, you will inevitably give in to that which is around you. But, but, if you do have within you <clears throat> that which is above you, you will change that which is around you. Can you see that? <clears throat> and that's why I say it's, it's not, spirit baptism is not just an experience, but it's an experience that leads to expansion. There's an overflow. There's a spilling over. There's a breaking out of the boundaries. There's a crossing all the boundaries. <clears throat> and Christianity is the only world religion that has even a realistic chance, even statistically, of reaching all nations. And you know what? The Bible says it will reach all nations. And one day in heaven... Every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be represented and before the throne of God be worshipping God. And then in, in verse 13, we see, it says, Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And then it said, Peter stood up with the eleven, uh, raised his voice and addressed them, Fellow Jews and those who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. In other words, it's, it's an experience that leads to, exp uh, to expansion and that requires an explanation. Um, when we don't give an explanation, people will come up with their own explanations. And they will try and explain what they see. And in, in this case, they saw great exuberance. They saw great joy. They saw great freedom. And they said, I only have that exuberance, that joy, that freedom when I'm drunk. So these guys must be drunk. They must have had too much wine. And Peter says, hang on, guys, only the third hour. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. We haven't been drinking. Come smell our breaths. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We're not drunk, as you suppose. We're just very, very full of the Holy Ghost. In, in Ephesians 5, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, in which is debauchery, but be filled, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Many of the same things. I mean, when you get drunk, you also sing. You know? <laughs> Not the, the songs that you sing aren't very savory and wholesome, <laughs> but you also sing songs when you get drunk. Well, guess what? When you, when you get drunk on the Holy Spirit, you know, 
you also sing songs, you do all kinds of stuff, which are very similar, and you experience the same kind, a similar kind of freedom to when you're drunk. But only it's a wholesome freedom. It's upbuilding. It's a connection with God rather than alienation from God. And what I, what I want you to see is this experience requires an explanation. And that explanation, first and foremost, is explanation from Scripture. When, when Peter explains this experience, he explains it from Scripture. He says, this is what Joel wrote about. In the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. On all flesh. And it, um, it's explanation that comes from Scripture. And it's a, it's a, can I call it a gospel explanation? Because I, I didn't read the, the whole sermon. But if you go and read on Peter's sermon, you'll see that it's a gospel sermon. In other words... The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the experience of the Holy Spirit that leads to expansion requires a gospel explanation. Do we live lives that require a gospel explanation? Can people see the experience of what is happening to us and nothing short of the gospel of Jesus Christ will do to explain what is going on in our lives? Do we live those kind of lives? Do we want to live those kind of life? I want to live a life like that. I want to live a life that requires a gospel explanation. It, it explains, I'm not going to go into all, the, all of this because I want, to, I want to finish up. It explains the timing of the experience, the cause of the experience, which is the Holy Spirit, the effects of the experience, which is prophesying. Notice how prominent verbal witness and worship is in this passage. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, <laughs> when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, one of the main things that it releases is your mouth. And all of a sudden you start speaking. Even an introvert like me, I start speaking and saying all kinds of things and speaking in, all, in front of all kinds of people that I wouldn't dare to speak in front of, uh, of otherwise. Because you just cannot... In other words, one of the main ways, one of the main places in your life where the Holy Spirit overflows is through your mouth says they heard in their own languages, supernaturally crossing ethnic bound and language boundaries, them declaring the greatness of God, the wonderful works of God, preaching the gospel, Peter preaching the gospel. Um, it says, I'll, I'll pour out my Holy Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, dream dreams. And later on it says, even on my servants. And, and, and here you see like sons and daughters, young people, Old men will dream dreams. Old people. So, so the, the, the age barrier is crossed. Um, it says servants. The socioeconomic barrier is crossed. And all of them will prophesy. Will speak forth the word of God. You'll see power and, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. The angel in Revelation says to John when he falls down, he says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The crux of prophecy, of New Testament prophecy, is the gospel, the testimony of Jesus. And when you preach the gospel, you are prophesying. The greatest prophetic word ever uttered 
and its fulfillment. And so, I remember sitting there, and I, I had a problem with speaking. I was very introverted, very sort of cautious and drawn back. I, I would be the one sitting quietly in the corner listening to the conversation, not, not really contributing that much to it. You know, I'd be the one, you know, when I had to do my oral at, at school, who would have his knees shaking and his voice rattling and stuttering, you know. I was that guy. And I remember sitting there and <clears throat> on that couch, and my friends were praying for me. They'd lay hands on me because we'd seen that in Acts as well, you know, lay hands on one another. We hadn't seen that in church up to then, but we saw it in Scripture. We, so we said, you know, what the heck, let's try it, you know. So we laid hands on one another, and they were laying hands on me and praying for me. And I, I remember sitting there, and I, I just felt, I could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I could feel Him. I was experiencing His presence, you know. It was like electricity going through me. And, and I, was like, I was like shaking a little bit because of it. And I remember hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit saying to me, just open your mouth and speak. And I opened my mouth. And then I got afraid and I closed it again. <laughs> Which was what I usually do. I mean, that was, that was my standard operating procedure. My dad had always said, it's better to shut up and let them think you're a fool than to open your mouth and eliminate all doubt. <laughs> He's an introvert, just like me, you know. And that was sort of a, a life philosophy that I inherited from him. But afterwards, when, when I did it, I felt so bad. I knew I'd, I'd been disobedient to God. He told me what to do. And he was wanting to bless me. And because of my own issues, I couldn't receive the blessing that he had for me. So I just said, Lord, just, just tell me to do it again, and this time I'll do it. And the Holy Spirit said to me again, just open your mouth and speak. And I opened my mouth and just, the tongues just started flowing out. My, I remember my one friend, Marcel, he was a very tall guy. He jumped up and he started dancing around the couch in joy. Like, yeah, because I was one of the last guys. They'd obviously been praying for me for a long while to, to express, the, the, you know, to start speaking in tongues and all of that. And he was dancing around. I just started speaking in tongues. And it was just such a release. And my ability to speak the gospel today has a lot to do with my willingness to let go of control, to open my mouth, and to speak as the Holy Spirit gave me utterance. And just notice here, just notice the, the beautiful, beautiful partnership here. So I'm going to read you verse 4 again of Acts 2. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Some other translation says, began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who does the speaking? They do. We do. You know, I, I had this idea, you know, because I, I, by that time when, when that was happening, and that's why the Holy Spirit had to say to me, open up your mouth and start speaking. <laughs> because I had this idea that, you know, if it's supernatural, then God's going to do all of it. He's going to open my mouth, you know, and close it, open it and close it. He's going to wiggle my tongue and then, you know, <laughs> cause me to speak in tongues. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. God, God's supernatural experience is not like a demon that takes you over and forces you to do things and do, does things through you only. 
You're an active participant in everything that God does in you and through you. You do the speaking. He gives you the utterance. He gives you the word. He enables you, but you still do the speaking. And all of the gifts are like that. And so many of us are holding back because, like, I'm willing, Lord. If you want to do miracles through me, or if you want to prophesy through me, or if you want to bless someone through me, then you can do it. I'm available. No, 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 no. You've got to still do the speaking. You've got to go to the person and open your mouth and start speaking and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to speak through you. You've got to lay hands on the person and start praying and then trust that the Holy Spirit is going to enable you. He's going to give you utterance. He's going to pray through you. There's always, in the way that the Holy Spirit works, that human-divine partnership. And so often, we limit the way in the extent to which the Holy Spirit can use us because we expect Him to do everything and we want to do nothing. Unless we have within us that which is above us, we will inevitably give in to that which is around us. But if we do have within us that which is above us, we will change that which is around us because that which is above us is so much greater than us. And when He is poured into us, He will overflow us. And spill over into the lives of everyone around us. Let's live those kind of lives. Let's, let's trust the Holy Spirit to fill us, to be poured out in us in that way. And just by the way, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit once. But you can be filled with the Holy Spirit many times. Every baptism in the Holy Spirit is an infilling of the Holy Spirit. But not every infilling of the Holy Spirit is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Peter, who was here in Acts 2... Let me just read that to you. In Acts 4, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he starts preaching to them. At the end of that chapter, after they'd been persecuted, they go back home. And it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. St. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, was again filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 4. Don't think, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's once off. You, you won't lose the Holy Spirit, and, you, and it won't leak. He'll overflow, but it won't leak from your life. <laughs> but you can be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I can't explain this to you. How can someone who has already been filled be filled again? Okay, and, and I must be honest with you, I can't explain that. But I know it's true because it's in Scripture and because I've experienced it. So let's not box God in with that. Let's, let's still, even if we have experienced this, trust God to continue experience this, experiencing this all the time and continually overflow. Being, I mean, just like you have to constantly drink wine to, begin, to be drunk with wine, so you have to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> to be drunk with the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to use. Let's stand. <clears throat> As Orchid plays a few notes for us, I just want you to just close your eyes and just focus on the Lord. And just want you to just lift up your hands to the Lord, just in a gesture of surrender and reception. And just in your own words, 
Say, Holy Spirit, I'm thirsty for you. Holy Spirit, I want you to be poured out in my life. I want, I want you to fill me. Whether you've been filled with the Holy Spirit or not, because we've, as we've seen in Scripture, even if you have been filled, you can still be filled. Just in your own words, just say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. I, I, you, don't, you don't even have to trust me for this to be done in your life. You might say, Any, I, don't, I don't know you. I don't know whether I can trust you. You don't have to trust me. Trust God. Trust Scripture. Trust what you saw in the Bible. If you don't trust me, that's fine. You don't have to trust me. But trust Jesus. I cannot baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I cannot pour out the Holy Spirit on you. Only Jesus can. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is baptized... As he's coming up out of the water, the Spirit descends upon him in bodily form like a dove. And he receives the Holy Spirit. But then after his ascension into heaven, it says in Acts 2 verse 33, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. You can see it and hear it. It's an experience. But but notice that Jesus is the only human being in the history of the world who received the Holy Spirit twice in this sense. When he was baptized in the Jordan, he received the Holy Spirit for himself and to show us what a spirit-filled life looked like. But then after his exaltation and he sat on the throne of God at God's right hand, he received the Holy Spirit for us. And that's why Jesus is the only one who can give you the Holy Spirit. There's no one else. Don't look to me. I can't do this for you. Yes, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, but I cannot give him to you. Only Jesus can. Because only Jesus died for you. Only Jesus conquered death. And only Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father to receive the Holy Spirit in order to give him away, to pour him out, to fill us up with him. So call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, pour out your Holy Spirit into me. Do for me, Jesus, what no one else can. Do for me, Jesus, what no one else can. Thanks for listening to this message from Shafa Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobo.